Well, I want to say uh, thank you to Pastor Duane and uh, the staff team, uh, who I highly regard in the Lord, both all of their team, just great folks. Thank you for the invite to be here. Uh, it's also, I feel like I'm coming home in many, many ways. See a number of students, uh, Jesse from the college and Derek from the seminary, and I met Karen from the seminary and a variety of folks. You heard a little bit about the school. Uh, we're, we're not that far away. In fact, interesting, I know some of you go to Mac. Um, the, uh, one of the guys on the film, Jacob, uh, was a Mac grad, and he's come and finished up a seminary degree, and now he's doing a PhD. But the Lord sends us really sharp students that want to serve the Lord, and that's something that you have a heart to learn more of. Uh, I got information there. We'd love to talk to you on how you could pursue at a distance or on campus some training if, you, if that's where God is moving you. But today it's my joy to get to uh, speak to you God's Word, and I know you're a church that values what God's Word says, and that's my joy is to bring it forward today. A number of years ago, I was in a Christian bookstore, and I saw a book that caught my eye, partly because of the color and the bold font on the cover, but more because of the title of the book. The book was entitled, How Come It's Taking Me So Long to Get Better? And I, I picked it off the shelf, turned it over to the back, and I quickly realized it was a book that wasn't about physical health or physical sickness. It was about spiritual health, spiritual sickness. It was a book that was asking the question, why does spiritual growth sometimes seem to come so slowly? How come it's taking me so long to get better as a Christian? And the, the title of that book resonated with questions that I had had as a person. Like, Lord, why, why is the Christian life at times more of a struggle than I would think it should be? Why is holiness so hard even when you're trying so hard? How come it's taking me so long to get better? Now, if you are a Christian here today, you probably would echo that sentiment sometimes in your life, maybe even today. Like, Lord, why is this such a struggle? How do I, how do I access, how do I in experience the strength of God to help me in my daily life with Jesus? How does that work? How come it's taking me so long to get better? Well, that's the subject that I want to talk to you about today. And I want to do that by taking you to the passage in the New Testament that I think more than any other passage in the New Testament both expresses the struggle and points to the solution. I can't think of a better passage that both tells us what is going on, why this is so hard, and what do we do about it? How do we experience God's strength in our struggle? The passage I'm referencing today is in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. So would you take a Bible, if you haven't done so already, and join me there, Romans 7 and 8. We're going to be in part of 7 and part of 8 today. And I want to talk to you about why the Christian life is more of a struggle than you wish it were, and how you can experience more of God's grace than you currently do. That's where I want to head. I know Pastor Dwayne prayed for us. Let me pray for myself and also for you as we look at Scripture together. Lord, I'm just delighting to be here uh, and enjoying just seeing what you have done in this corner of Hamilton, how you've given this facility to this church, to James Street North, and how that they can serve you and serve their community in Jesus' name. It's a great joy. Lord, I also sense that I'm with people, with brothers and sisters 
who have a heart for you, and probably some of them today would echo what I just said, that sometimes, Lord, we don't know why it seems to be so slow for us to get better than where we are today. How come it's taking us so long to get better? And I'm asking you, we'll use your word today to help us understand and then embrace what you say we can do in response. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin by reading Romans chapter 7, and I'll pick it up in verse 14. I'll read through verse 25, and I want, I want you to listen to the emotion, even the exasperation that comes out in these verses. It's rare in Scripture that you get quite this tone from Paul. So listen to it as I read, picking it up in Romans 7, verse 14. Paul says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Well, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin." Now, you, you could just sense Paul's frustration as he writes. In fact, in fact, those words that I just read to you are so real and so raw and so ragged that some people say, well, Paul wrote these words, but he must have been talking about his life before Christ. He must have been talking about his pre-Christian experience. That's when he struggled so terribly. And it's possible that that's what's going on, but I don't think so. I actually think that Paul is talking about part of his experience as a Christian. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, one of the reasons is, it's kind of a grammatical one, but it's kind of an important one. If you were to read Romans 7 from the beginning to the end, you would find that in verses 1 to 13, he consistently uses past tense verbs. Past tense verbs, things that happened in the past. But then when he gets to verse 14, our passage, he switches and he goes consistently to present tense verbs, like things that speak of the present, what's happening now. So it seems as though Paul is consciously trying to say, this is part of my experience as a Christian, as a Christ follower. I want to do the right thing, but it seems more often than not, I end up doing the wrong thing. I want to do what pleases God, and I end up doing the things that doesn't. Now, if you were talking to Paul after you read those, if you could speak to him, you'd say, well, Paul, why is that? Why is it that you want to do the right thing, 
but you don't seem to be able to pull it off. And why is it that that's true for me more than I'd like to admit? I want to do the right thing. Sometimes I end up doing the wrong thing, and not just once. Why is that? I think Paul gives us the answer in verses 14 to 25. He tells us what's going on. And I'm hoping that as we look at this, for some of you today, the penny will drop. You'll be like, oh, that's why this is so hard. That's why it's taking me so long to get better. You see, in verses 14 to 25, Paul tells you something that I want you to know. It's really the first of two major things I want you to see today. The first one is this. Holiness is a struggle because of something inside of you, the flesh. Holiness is a struggle. Holiness is hard. It's taking you so long to get better because of something that's actually inside of you. Paul calls it the flesh. Holiness is a struggle because of something inside you, the flesh. If you look closely at our verses, Paul talks about the flesh, the flesh. Some of your translations may have said the sinful nature. But look at verse 14, you'll see it. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Look at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. Paul's saying, I got this thing inside of me, and he calls it the flesh. The Greek word there is sarks. It it, uh, can also be translated sinful nature. Sometimes when the Bible uses the word flesh, it's talking about something outside of us, our skin, right? We're flesh and blood. But sometimes when it uses the word flesh, it talks about something inside of us, something that dwells in us, not our skin, but our sin. And and the flesh is something that's going to be a problem for you even after you become a Christian. So what I want to do here, to get a little more specific on that, I want to walk you through verses 14 to 25 and show you three things about the flesh that you need to know. If you want to know why it's taking you so long to get better, here are three things about the flesh that Paul tells us that we need to know. Here's the first one. What's this, what's this going on with the flesh? The first thing is this. Paul is going to tell us that the flesh is part of you, but it's not the heart of you. Okay? First thing you need to know is this. The flesh is part of you. Thankfully, it's not the heart of you. And I get that out of verse 18. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. So Paul starts off with this kind of categorical, state, categorical statement. He says, hey, I got nothing good in me. And then he says, well, wait, wait, let me qualify that. And he becomes more theologically precise. He says, there's nothing good in me. Well, what I mean by that is there's nothing good in my flesh. So that means that the flesh is part of him, but it's not all of him, right? Nothing good in me, well, in the part of me that's called the flesh. The flesh is part of him, but it's not the heart of him. It's not his deepest part. I know that from the last half of verse 18. Look at it again. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Look what he says next. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Paul says, my heart's in the right place. I got a desire to do what's right. I just don't seem to be able to pull it off. So what he's saying is this. I got part of me that's going the wrong way, but it's not the heart of me. In my deepest heart, I want to please God. Now, if you're a Christian, the same thing is true of you. The flesh is part of you, but catch this, it's not the heart of you. If you're a Christian, you have a new heart. The uh, Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, 
and Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. They promised there was coming a day when God would start a new covenant. And part of the new covenant would be you get a new heart. He'll take out the old stony heart and put in a heart that's living and breathing. So if you've become a Christian, here's the good news about you. The deepest part of you is new. The truest part of you is new. The deepest part of you wants to please God. In fact, I'd say that's one of the ways you know you're a Christian. Sometimes we wonder, like, am I really in? Am I really a Christian or am I just an imposter? One of the ways you know you're a Christian is do you have a heart deep down that says, I do want to please God. I want to go His way. Paul said that was true for him, but he had this other part of him he calls the flesh. So the flesh is part of you, but not the heart of you. Here's the second thing about the flesh you need to know. Because you may be saying, okay, well, what part of me is it? Second thing is this about the flesh. The flesh is the leftover mindset and muscle memory from your old life before Jesus. You know what the flesh is? It's leftovers. You know leftovers. You go to the fridge, you got something from uh, what you ate a day or two ago. But leftovers still have as many calories as they did the first time around. And you got some leftovers from your old life in your mind and in your body. You have leftover mindset. You've got a leftover muscle memory. The mindset Paul talks about a little bit more in chapter 8. But what he's saying here is this. You've got old ways of thinking. Hey, listen, when you became a Christian, it's not like God did a reboot of your brain. Right? You still had ways, patterns you learned to think for years. Now, what he starts to do is transform that. But you still have some old patterns of thought. And typically, our old ways of thinking revolve around ourselves, right? We just think that we're the, we're the center of our little world, and we think what's good for us. And Paul says, I still got some of that left in me. And I also still have some muscle memory that leads me to sin. I've got a mindset, and I've got muscle memory. Now, do you, you know what I'm talking about, muscle memory? Do you know what that is? Muscle memory uh, is a procedural memory, procedural type of memory that the brain has that lets us do certain tasks that we've done a bunch of times. We can do them almost subconsciously without thinking, right? There's some things that your, your body just knows what to do, like riding a bike. Um, most of us here probably ride bikes. But some of us here haven't ridden a bike for a long time. Like, I've not been on a bike, and I don't remember when the last time. But you know what would happen if today after church, somebody rolled up a bike and said, hey, do you want to take a little spin? And I jumped on it. I probably would just be able to get off and just start going. Why is that? Muscle memory. Like, the brain has patterned things in my body that my legs know what to do, and I, my body knows how to balance. And that's true for many things. We do them unconsciously. Now, here's the point. When you come to Jesus, you have muscle memory on old sins that you used to do over and over and over. It's like your body just knows what to do, and some of what it does are things you don't want it to do. See, Paul talks about sin as still dwelling in our body. Let me show you this. Look at verse 17. Look what he says. Now, just think about this. He says, so it is no longer I who do, do it, but sin that dwells within me. I got some sin dwelling in me. You say, well, where's it dwelling? Well, jump, jump over now to verse 23. Look at the end of verse 23. It says, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells, here it is, in my members, in my body. And then verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, Paul's not saying that your body is evil. 
God created us. He made us good. What he's saying is that sin is somehow still present in your body with a kind of muscle memory that it just does it subconsciously. Do you find that there are certain sins that you could almost do without thinking? It's like you just, your body knows, it remembers kind of the old ways of living and just does them. Paul says, I got this thing called the flesh, mindset, muscle memory, and it pulls me away from God and towards sin. So that's the second thing. First thing, flesh is part of you, not the heart of you. Second thing, it's the leftover muscle memory and mindset from your old life. Let me give you a third thing. And this one's the worst of all. This is like the worst news of the three. By the way, you may be thinking at this point, like, why did they ask this guy to come? I mean, I come to church to be lifted up, and this guy's coming here, and he's dragging me down. It's like, I'm not, I'm not feeling great right now about life. So what's, what's the, well, let me give you some more bad news. If you're already feeling like this is tilted the wrong way, wait till you hear the third thing about your flesh. The third thing Paul says in, in Romans 7 about flesh is this. The flesh is stronger than your good intentions and your best efforts. How's that? The flesh is stronger than your good intentions, what you want, and your best efforts, what you try. Uh, let me show you how he says that. Look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. So I want to do one thing and I do the opposite. Look down at verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. Paul says, I'm trying, and I intend to do the right thing, and I do the wrong thing. The flesh is stronger than your good intentions and your best efforts. Have you found that out? Like you wake up and go, okay, I know that area that I trip up all the time. I am not going to do that today. How long does that last? Now, this is Paul the apostle who is saying this. What does that imply for you if Paul is struggling? Some years ago, I was watching, I was channel surfing on a Saturday, and I came across one of those sports shows uh, that are on on Saturday afternoons. It was called World's Strongest Man. And they had these big burly guys who were competing for the title of World's Strongest Man. And, and uh, what they would do is they would just come in, and one by one, they would try to lift these incredibly, these insanely heavy objects. And I remember one of the competitions, they put, they put a harness on the guy, and then the harness had a rope to it that went up to a pulley, and it came down to this big plexiglass container that was filled with coins. And the, the deal was, the guy in the harness would try to go forward like this, which would lift the pulley, and the goal was to lift the container. So this one guy gets in, and he is gargantuan. He's, he's just muscle-bound, and he's mammoth. And they put him in the harness, and he begins to give it everything he has. And he strains, and he struggles, and after a while, he gives up. Can't do it. So imagine you were there for the taping of that show, and afterwards, after this guy kind of gets out, he's all discouraged, the MC gets up and goes, hey, we've got a little extra time here today. So I was thinking we'd give someone in the audience a chance to try it. So, and he points at you and says, hey, you, you, why don't you come forward and give it a run? Now, are you going to do that? You're not going to do that. You're thinking, look, if that dude couldn't move it, ain't no way little old me is going to move it, right? Now, Paul was a heavyweight Christian. Wouldn't you agree with that? And if Paul is saying the flesh is stronger than his good intentions and his best efforts, what do you think is going to happen with you? 
How come it's taking me so long to get better? Paul says, I'll tell you why. The flesh. Now, if we just wrapped it up right here, this would be pretty grim, wouldn't it? If I just said, okay, let's do the benediction. Thanks so much. Go out and get slaughtered another week. You know, give it your best shot. But you're going to lose. You're going to fail. But that's, you know, that's the way it is. So let's just kind of be real. If that's where we ended, it would be, it would be terribly grim. But thankfully, Romans 7 is not the end of the book. In fact, in the original manuscript, there were no chapter titles, no chapter breaks. It goes straight from Romans 7 into what we know as Romans 8. And look what comes next. The whole tone changes. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, that's holiness, might be fulfilled in us, like in you and me, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's like everything changes in Romans 8. He goes in Romans 7 from saying, wretched man that I am, feeling condemned, to chapter 8 saying, there is now no condemnation. And you go, wait, 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 Paul, how did you make that transition? How did you go from despair to delight? How did you go from no condemnation or from condemnation to no condemnation? And the answer is this. In chapter 8, Paul introduces the game changer. And he tells you why holiness is possible. See, in chapter 7, we learn that holiness is a struggle because of something in you, the flesh. Now in chapter 8, here's the second major thing you need to get. Holiness is possible because of someone inside of you, the Holy Spirit. He's going to say in chapter 8, holiness is possible because of someone who lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Yes, you have something that lives inside of you, the flesh, but you have someone, if you're a Christian, you have someone living inside of you, the Holy Spirit, and He makes holiness possible for even you, for me, for us. Chapter 8 could be called the Holy Spirit chapter. Uh, there's other chapters in the Bible that talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, John 14, John 16. But if I had to pick the chapter in the Bible that most centers on the work of the Holy Spirit, I'd say Romans 8. What's interesting, you read through Romans 7, the Holy Spirit is mentioned one time, one time. You get to chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 20 times in one chapter. And that's because Paul says, listen, listen. In chapter 7, the struggle is between you and the flesh, and the flesh keeps winning. But now in chapter 8, he says, ah, but here's the game changer. The struggle now is between your flesh and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And he says, and now, and now, you can start to get some wins. The Holy Spirit makes holiness possible. Now, we don't have time to go all the way through the chapter in detail. Romans 8 is a chapter, if, if I were encouraging you to memorize a chapter, I'd put Romans 8 on the short list. This would be a good one to have committed to memory. I've been working on this one, and I go over it all the time. But what I want to do in our time here, last few minutes, is I want to breeze through the first half of the chapter and show you eight ways, eight ways in chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit helps you get better. 
Eight ways that in the midst of the struggle, the Holy Spirit helps you. I'm going to go through them pretty quick. And hopefully you'll write them down, dig into them on your own time. But let me show you. Paul, it's masterful. So the first one is this. How does the Holy Spirit help us get better? First of all, he helps us walk straight. The Spirit helps us walk straight. Look at verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law, that's walking God's way, straight way, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps you walk in the way that Jesus wants you to walk in. There's a really fascinating little th uh, three-minute video clip, if you want to ever see it. It's called, "Why?" just Google, Why We Can't Walk Straight. It's a national public radio, NPR little piece. And I'll just tell you what it says. They've done studies since like the 1920s where they blindfolded somebody and said, you're in a field, there's nothing you can hurt yourself with, just walk straight. They blindfolded someone. They, th they blindfolded a swimmer, put a blindfolded and said, try to swim straight. They put a guy in a car in the middle of a Kansas field, blindfolded him and said, drive straight. And you know what they found every time? Nobody can go straight. They start straight and then really soon they start curving and the curve goes around and it starts turning in on itself. And what I would say to you is this, if you try to walk without the Spirit's help, you're not going to go straight. You're going to curve and guess what? You'll curve in on yourself over and over the Holy Spirit is able to say, no, no, I'll help you go straight. So he helps us walk straight. Second thing he helps us do is he helps us think right. He helps us think right. I mentioned that we've got old mindsets. Well, look at ch chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. The Holy Spirit goes to transform our thinking. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You know how Romans 12 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present yourself as living sacrifice. And then you remember what it says next? And be transformed, how? By the renewing of your, what? Minds. So you've got some old ways of thinking. And the Spirit says, look, if we're going to see changes, we're going to have to change the way you think. And the way he does that is he begins to put new data in. And so when you spend time in this book and you think God's ways, the Spirit of God is able to access all that and help you think right. So He helps you walk straight. He helps you think right. Here's the third thing. He helps you come alive. He helps you come alive. Do you ever feel lethargic as a Christian? Do you ever feel like I have a ministry assignment to do and I just don't got it? I just don't. I'm tired. I'm, I'm weary. Look at verse 11 of chapter 8. It says, if the Spirit, see the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, here it is, will give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit of God animates us to live for Christ. There are times I show up to do a ministry and I'm just saying, Lord, I got nothing today. I'm weary. I feel lifeless. Would your Holy Spirit come and give me life? Would you make me alive? You've made me alive in Christ. Give life to my mortal body. He does that. He helps us come alive. Here's the fourth one, verses 12 and 13. The Holy Spirit helps us kill sin. Kill sin. This one's pretty grisly, but look what it says. You'll see it for yourself. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now catch what comes next, verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Spirit-led executions. 
See what the Holy Spirit does is he comes and you remember I said you have old muscle memory, does the wrong thing. Spirit of God comes and goes, that needs to die. And you go, well, I can't kill it. He goes, yeah, you can kill it with my help. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Puritan pastor named John Owen said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's like a cage match. And only one of you is going to come out. And the Spirit of God says, we can kill that thing. You bring it to me. That's your issue. We're going to kill that sin. You say, yeah, but it's been in me so long. If by the Spirit you put to death. The Spirit of God helps you start to put things to death. Do they die right away? Usually not. But He keeps coming. And He keeps helping you. So what have we seen? The Holy Spirit will help you walk straight, think right, come alive, kill sin. Here's the fifth. He helps you follow close. He helps you follow close. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Led by the Spirit of God. Usually when we talk about being led by the Spirit, we're thinking of being led to make a decision, being led to find the job. What major should I take? What person should I marry? But here, that's not the emphasis. Here it's being led to walk in God's ways, led to put sin to death, right? That's what he just talked about. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Hey, here's another way you can know you're a Christian. You are in a death struggle to see sin put to death. You want it to be put to death. J.C. Ryle, who was an Anglican minister from the previous centuries, said this, A Christian is known by two marks, his inward peace and his inward warfare. The very fact that you're in a fight against sin and the Spirit of God is leading you to do that, that's an evidence that He's in you. So the Spirit helps you, He leads you, He helps you follow close. And then I love the next one, verses 15 and 16, here's the sixth way. He helps you draw near. He helps you draw near to the Father. Look at verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Here's another way you know that, the spirit of, that you're a Christian. The Spirit of God resonates with your human spirit and says to you, you belong to God. Have you ever heard of the phrase sympathetic resonance? Do you know what that is? If you're a musician, you may have heard of that, sympathetic resonance. If there was a grand piano up here, and I walked over to it, and I sat down, and I lifted up the lid, and I put down the sustain key, okay, those little pedals at the bottom, and I pushed down the sustain key, and I leaned into the hollow of the, of the piano, and I sang a note. If I went, bum, and then I was quiet, you know what you would hear? You would actually hear that same pitch being played from the piano, even though I don't touch any of the keys. You go, bum, and then you hear this little faint, bum, same note. Because the frequency in my voice finds resonance with one of the strings and it echoes back. There's a sympathetic resonance. Now, I think there is a spiritual sympathetic resonance. The Holy Spirit sings into your spirit and He says, you belong. And something inside of you sings back and goes, I belong. And the Spirit of God says, Abba, Father, and something inside of you looks up and goes, Abba, Father, and it's in the middle of the mess of putting sin to death. 
That's what's so beautiful about this. You see, most of us, when we're in a struggle with sin, do you feel close to God in the midst of that? Probably not, right? You feel like, well, once I get things cleaned up, then I'll be able to feel close to God. But Paul is saying, in the very middle of the fight, as the Spirit of God is leading you to put sin to death, he's also singing into your soul. And he's saying, you belong You're a child of God and your spirit is going, really? I belong. The spirit of God does that for you. It's an amazing gift. The seventh thing that Paul highlights, verse 23, is that the spirit helps you look forward to heaven. The spirit starts giving you this longing to be whole. Verse 23 says, not only the creation... But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of Son, the redemption of our bodies. The Spirit starts giving you this longing to be home and to be whole and to have a new body. Not because you want to get rid of arthritis, which you probably do if you have it. Not because you have other physical problems you want to get rid of. Yes, we do. But because you want to get rid of sin. You want to have a body that you don't sin anymore. No muscle memory towards sin. You'll have a body like Christ. And the Spirit starts saying, that's where you're headed. And then the 8th in verse 26, the Spirit helps us to pray better. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Do you ever feel like your prayers are pretty lame pretty pedantic, pretty weak. So do I. And Paul says, so do all Christians. But the Spirit comes and he takes those weak and wobbly prayers and he intercedes for us with groans that words cannot even express. You see, holiness is a struggle because of something inside of you, the flesh. But holiness is possible because of someone inside of you, the Spirit of God. So what you and I need to do is we need to learn to walk by the Spirit. That's where Paul started this whole chapter back in verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You and I need to learn to live our days walking by the Spirit. That's how you start to feel like you're getting better. You say, well, how do I do that practically? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Let me give you a word picture that's been super helpful for me for the last three decades. I've shared this at the school where I serve at Heritage. I've told it to many people because it's been so life-giving to me. When I was in seminary, one of my profs told me about, his name was Bill Lawrence. He told the story of how he and his wife, Lena, used to go visit Lena's grandma on Sundays. Her name was Grandma Little. And they would go visit Grandma Little on Sunday afternoons and bring her to their home for the afternoon. And Bill said, it was always the same. We came to her senior's residence. She lived at the end of a long corridor, had her little apartment. We came, we knocked on the door, we got inside, and there was Grandma Little. Every week, seated in her, she was seated in her rocking chair. Her hair was perfectly permed. She was ready to go. She was beautifully dressed. And Bill said, we always had the same conversation. I would come over to her and go, how are you doing today, Grandma Little? And she would always say, pretty good. And then he'd say, are you ready to go, Grandma Little? And she would say, yes, but not too fast. And she would put her arm up, and Bill would put his arm down, and he would help her stand up. 
And then he said we would make the long walk from her apartment to the parking lot. Grandma Little walking by the strength of Bill Lawrence. She was using her legs, but she was leaning on his strength. And then Bill said this to us. He says, I like to think that in the morning when I'm waking up, the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, how you doing today, Bill? And I say, pretty good. And the Spirit of God says, are you ready to go? And I say, yes, but not too fast. And then I consciously lean into the Spirit's strength and I walk through the day. My legs are moving, but I'm leaning on His strength. Bill Lawrence, he said, walking by the strength of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, that's what the Christian life is like. It's a walk towards heaven. And it's a battle. And it's a joy. And the way you make progress, the way you start to get better, Paul says, you walk by the Spirit. So as you're going through the day and suddenly your thoughts start going into dark places, you know the way your old mindset pulls you back and the Spirit of God whispers to you, hey, that's stinking thinking. That needs to go. And you say, you're right. Lord, I'm so sorry. My mind goes there so often. I just I want to give that up. And then later in the day, you stumble spiritually and you fall into the old sin that has hit you many, many times. And the Spirit of God says, bring that to me. You say, Lord, I am so sick of this. I can't seem to win. He says, bring that to me. Let's put that thing to death. So you do in the middle of the day. And then you're going through the day and part of the day, you just start to feel lethargic spiritually. You don't feel alive. You don't feel, and you say, Lord, by your spirit, would you just come and fill me up right now? I need strength. Or you're feeling distant from God. And the Spirit of God starts singing into your soul, you belong. And you look up and go, oh, that's right, I belong. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, that's your day. That's your life. That's how you walk. Not just today, not just tomorrow, for the rest of your life. Because you've got something inside of you that wants to pull you down, the flesh. Ah, but you've got someone inside of you who will lift you up. So you walk by the Spirit. Now, all of this that I've said is predicated that the Spirit of God is living in you. And the Spirit of God only lives in you if you belong to Jesus. So I do have to say, listen, if you're saying, I need that, then the starting place for you is actually to come to Christ and to ask Him for forgiveness and new life, and then He gives you His Spirit. If you've never done that, if you've heard about it, but you've never personally gone all in with Jesus, where you said, Jesus, I need you, and I need your Spirit, you can do that today. Right where you sit, you can call out to Him, and He'll come into your life by His Holy Spirit, and then you'll start your walk, your walk towards glory. And it's the glorious walk. Oh, it's uphill at times, and it's against the wind at times. But you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So let me just close. The team's going to come up and lead us in song as we wrap up. But can I just give us all a minute to process this and to pray? Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus. And that's your first step today. Would you just do that? Maybe you're here and you've done that. But you've been struggling with some areas in your life. And you just need to say, God, I need your spirit. I need you. I need you. 
Why don't you tell him that? And then the worship team will lead us as we sing our confession to the Lord that we need him. Let's pray.